Well, if I can just be honest, my biggest hope is that all the very depressed people who come to my office on a daily basis get the legal solution that they're looking for so that they can live a dignified life. (laughs) I laugh because it should be something profound like South Africa should uh, sign the statelessness conventions. But meanwhile, really what I want is just for the poor souls in my office to get help and to become citizens. I am Liesl Miller and I am an attorney at Lawyers for Human Rights running the Statelessness Project in South Africa. Hi, I'm Andy Clark and you're listening to the What's Best for Children's Nationality podcast from the Institute on Statelessness and Inclusion. In this edition, we're looking at how strategic litigation, advocacy and awareness raising are helping tackle childhood statelessness. Later in the podcast, we'll hear from Adam Weiss from the European Roma Rights Centre about how they're using these techniques. But first, we'll hear more from Liesl Muller from Lawyers for Human Rights in South Africa. So, tell me about your baby. What's his name? My baby is in Kazumulo, Bendulo, Matovela. And how old is he? He's 10 months now. Yes, I have a particular client who um, was orphaned as a child and she was never registered in any country and she grew up in South Africa and in Botswana and we suspect that her parents might have been from Zimbabwe but we had no proof and so she was never registered her entire life and but she in particular is a person who has big dreams So, love, will you tell me a bit about your dream that you were telling me about earlier? When I was growing up, before my per- my father passed away, I told myself that I want to be a pilot. And then I went to the Johnsburg airport when I was staying in Johnsburg to ask which subject must I take. They told me I must go for sciences. So I wanted to be a pilot. It's really my dream. I want to fulfill it. But when she had she came to her last year of school, she wasn't able to write her final exams, and so she doesn't actually have her um, school certificate, so she could never study. And now she's 26 about, and she has her own child who is also unregistered, and um, her whole life has just been on hold. And then tell me, um, were you able to, when you were in your last year at school, what happened? Were you able to finish school or what is it that happened? I finished, but I don't, didn't finish it yet because we don't do anything since we, have, we, are not, we don't have any documents. There are no official figures for the number of stateless children in South Africa. Liesel's organisation, Lawyers for Human Rights, works on some 700 cases a year and half of them involve children. Many of these cases are truly remarkable. Yes, recently I had two referrals from a hospital in Johannesburg, two babies who needed liver transplants because they had acute liver failure. And in order to get a transplant 
in order to go on the list, you need to have a birth certificate. And both of these babies did not have birth certificates because their parents could not afford the DNA tests. So they can only live to up, up about up to about two years if they don't get a transplant. And the longer you wait to do the operation, the less likely they are to survive the operation. And so we had to bring an urgent we wanted to bring an urgent application in the high court and but luckily we were able to successfully negotiate with the department and they were registered and they are now in the process of getting donors and so they will live so that's something that really stuck with me this year so what's behind childhood statelessness in south africa at the moment a lot of children are at risk of statelessness because they don't um, have any documentation and they have migrated or they're abandoned and they've never been registered. So often it's children who are in situations that are not the nuclear family and they have problems with proving their nationality. Um, some other children are born in South Africa to refugees and when a cessation happens or when a parent dies, the child doesn't have a refugee claim and the country of origin doesn't recognize them as a citizen and that's how they can become uh, stateless in South Africa. Birth registration is at the core of the problem. South Africa has incredibly strict birth registration rules, legislation. So it excludes a lot of children from registering their birth. If you're not in a family where your mother and your father are married and both alive and available to register you, it is incredibly difficult for you to register, to have your birth registered. For instance, single fathers are at the moment practically not able to register their children. And what's it like to live as a stateless person in South Africa? Let's hear from Love again. We heard from her and her baby at the beginning of the podcast. During the time when you are stateless, looking for a job, sometimes you find that they will say, here, I'll work for you. And then when you go, they will tell you, you must be a stripper or throw the drugs. And then it's difficult when you are stateless to get a job. You're always begging them to not to fire you. Um, and uh, was there any time when you, when it was difficult for you to like get services from the government, like health services or except for school? Yes, it gave me that time because when I was pregnant, it was giving me a lot of times. And when I was giving birth, it was giving me bad time. Even right now when I'm taking my baby to the clinic for immunization, it still gives me, it's still difficult. And they don't want to help you. Sometimes they do not help me, and then I take my child to get... The list of problems faced by stateless people is long and painful. And for stateless children, it means it can literally ruin lives before they're even started. Um, another case that I really liked this year was about 33 abandoned children who are in children's homes across Johannesburg. And the Department of Home Affairs refused to register them all at once because they said it would be too much of a burden. And so they decided that they would register them only two at a time and they would take up to two years. And so we did some research and realized that if these children were not registered immediately, they would not be able to access things like adoption, which means that they are at risk of some serious developmental issues 
Um, they can they don't bond with the primary caregiver, and basically their entire life can be affected by this uh, situation of not having a birth certificate because they don't bond with the caregiver within the first two years of their lives. And um, an urgent application in the High Court also sorted out that situation, and all of them are now registered and lined up for adoption. So that was also a very important case. So what are the tactics being used by the lawyers in South Africa? Our main approach is direct legal assistance. We believe that empowering every individual on a case-by-case basis is the best approach. Uh, We do advocacy also at the same time, and we believe that our cases, our individual cases, give legitimacy to our advocacy. Um, But um, it is possible in a country like South Africa where the laws are actually good to have um, a legal counsellor assist an individual to access the nationality that they are entitled to. So that's our main approach. And by selecting certain individual cases and using litigation in a strategic way, the approach is geared to changing laws for the benefit of others in the same situation. Uh, We select certain cases for strategic litigation and in those cases we try and help the individual but also change a particular policy or change a law or uh, ask the court to declare a particular practice unconstitutional. So a recent case we did, for instance, we asked the court to declare uh, the law unconstitutional which said that fathers can't register children. And so what that resulted in is that now the law allows single fathers to register children. To be stateless is to be deprived of access to many human rights, including in many cases, access to justice. The right to a nationality is so fundamental that it is specifically included in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. In the majestic words of the Universal Declaration, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. The words of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michel Bachelet. Beyond the court cases and strategic litigation, the lawyers for human rights in South Africa have also approached the United Nations to help establish international precedent. So we've been very successful in getting very good recommendations from the Human Rights Council, the Committee on the Rights of the Child, the African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child, the African Commission. Uh, So we've had a lot of success with getting the actual recommendations passed. And of course, um, our courts are, in terms of the Constitution, forced to take those recommendations into account when they interpret human rights in a court case. So these are very helpful for our legislation. They're also helpful for our local advocacy when we make submissions to our law reform commission, when we do advocacy to parliament, we can say, well, look, the international community has already brought this to your attention, that that there are children who are stateless and need assistance. And so we're building on a basis uh, upon which we can do both litigation and advocacy. When I see somebody with a passport, I feel like I wish it has been me. (laughs) Because I never had a passport. I never had any identity of any country. Then I'm always wishing, I wish it is me having this passport. 
a short fragment from a film on statelessness made by the South African lawyers. Awareness raising is another key component in their approach. Absolutely, it is incredibly difficult to convince people in Africa that statelessness is a problem. Um, there is a sense that Africans have a strong sense of community, of tribes, of family, and so there's roots. And it's very hard to convince people that there are people who have no citizenship. But once you start telling them about the actual stories, they realize that there is a long history of colonization, forced migration, slavery, and these are all um, factors that make people stateless in Africa. And so the way that we try and deal with that is we make short films, we write uh, short stories about our clients, we do interviews for the media, and we try and tell the stories of our clients so that people see in a very real practice practical way how statelessness is caused and how it affects people. In a few minutes, we'll hear how things worked out for Love and her baby in South Africa. But first, we'll hear from another organisation taking a similar approach to the lawyers in South Africa. Also using strategic litigation is the European Roma Rights Centre. My name is Adam Weiss and I work at the European Roma Rights Centre. I first asked Adam if he could tell me about the problem of childhood statelessness within the Roma community. Yes, basically uh, in uh, countries in the former Yugoslavia and also former Soviet Union, uh, there were quite a few problems with statelessness after those countries broke up. Um, and those problems of statelessness fell disproportionately on Romani communities. Uh, this is not surprising because we've seen centuries of anti-Gypsyism in these areas. Uh, so it seems pretty logical, actually, that when people then had to affiliate to a new nation, uh, that Roma would be the ones who would have some of the biggest difficulties uh, uh, having a connection to a state. Um, the problem with childhood statelessness that we see, particularly in the Western Balkans, the former Yugoslavia, is closely linked to birth registration. What we see now is a lot of Romani uh, families who are not able to register the births of their children and leaving that leaves those children at risk of statelessness. And, and what's your approach in trying to tackle this? What do you do? Well, the European Roma Rights Center believes that uh, the struggle for equality and against anti-gypsyism has to take place, at least in part, in the courtroom. So we're dedicated to uh, enabling Romani people to use their rights in court and out of court uh, in order to, uh, to combat discrimination. What we're trying to do is support Romani families in this situation to bring cases to court. Um, and what we're seeing is that the court procedures that exist, particularly in the Western Balkans, are not providing appropriate remedies for families in this situation. So what we've started doing now is supporting uh, uh, Romani families who are faced with this problem to go directly to international bodies with their cases. Uh, we worked uh, over the past year to take a case against Albania before the Human Rights Committee in Geneva, and also a case against Bosnia and Herzegovina to the Human Rights Committee in Geneva. And how did that work out? Well, it's going pretty slowly, which is to be expected. So, so far, the case against Albania has been communicated to the Albanian government. That's the first step in the process. They've got a few months to reply, and there'll be a back and forth then. And then we're hoping sometime in the next few years, really, we'll have a decision in that case. And we're not even at that stage yet with the case concerning Bosnia and Herzegovina. Do you still do strategic litigation in the countries themselves as well, or have you given that up completely? Well, we try to. So in a wide range of areas, we do strategic litigation in the national courts. In this area, it's very frustrating. 
Um, so there are ca- in those cases. This area is the statelessness. Statelessness, particularly stateless children. And the reason why it's frustrating is this, actually. There is a right to immediate birth registration. The word immediate is there in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and in the International uh, Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. So what does immediate mean if you have to spend years and years in court? Um, the, the, the national court cases in this country, pursuing them is a really frustrating thing for us because it basically defies the whole purpose of immediacy. So we're trying to cut past that and say, no, we have to have some kind of procedure that deals with this right away. Um, it's a real paradox because litigation takes years and years. So by the time we actually get all of this sorted out, the children whose cases we're taking on uh, will be adults probably. They'll certainly be much older. One of the children is 13 years old, for example, now. Um, but we see very little hope in the national courts because they don't seem set up to provide a way of dealing with birth, birth registration immediately, even though that's what human rights requires. So you're trying to set precedent at the international level. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we're trying to use the, and we've made a deliberate choice in going to the UN Human Rights Committee um, because the, uh, the, the treaty that we're dealing with there, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, specifically refers to immediate birth registration. Uh, the, the European Convention on Human Rights and the European Court of Human Rights, there isn't that same specific right there to immediate birth registration. And so we thought we should go to the, the treaty body that deals specifically with this right. That has potentially global implications. What we want is some kind of universally applicable jurisprudence that, said this is, that says this is what immediate birth registration means. Adam Weiss from the European Roma Rights Centre. But what about the young woman Love from South Africa, who we heard from earlier in the podcast? In the end, things worked out well for her and her baby. I'm very upset because I'm very happy, because it's almost maybe 10 years looking for it. Looking for a document that you, you sometimes I did tell a lot or more at the time I said okay it's fine by if I if she told me that when she heard uh, the news about the court order that she was yelling in the store where she works uh, yelling of with joy <laughs> and everybody wanted to know what was going on with her but she was just laughing and and um, she felt hope. So what's next for love? Well, I think she's going to just first get her life in order, all the basic things, have her baby immunized, get all her documents in order. And then she's told me that she wants to immediately write her matric exam, her final school year exam, so that she can go and study. And for Liesl, what's her biggest hope looking ahead? My biggest hope... Well, if I can just be honest, my biggest hope is that all the very depressed people who come to my office on a daily basis get the legal solution that they're looking for so that they can live a dignified life. (laughs) I laugh because it should be something profound like South Africa should uh, sign the statelessness conventions. But meanwhile, really what I want is just for the poor souls in my office to get help and to become citizens. Liesl Muller there from Lawyers for Human Rights in South Africa. If you want to learn more about childhood statelessness and how you can help eradicate it, please visit our website, institutesi.org. 
Institute, si.org. You can find there a variety of resources on the issue, including a technical guide on childhood statelessness and the child's right to a nationality. This unpacks the challenges in more detail and provides information on relevant international standards and good practices. And please help us spread the word about the What Works Best for Children's Nationality podcast. You can do it on social media using our hashtags, hashtag nationality for children, or the hashtag for inclusive societies. That's hashtag nationality for children or hashtag for inclusive societies. And don't forget to include our Twitter handle, which is at institute underscore SI. That's at institute underscore SI. And from me, Andy Clark, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>